for our Advent series, we're going to start every week with a uh, reading of a couple scriptures. Um, we're going to do this corporately, all together. We usually don't do this if you're, if you're new, uh, but I thought this could be something kind of fun to do. Um, so let's get the first scripture up there uh, from Isaiah uh, 9. We're going to read this together. Uh, please don't be the one person that like is uh, not conscious of other people and speeds through it and then uh, finishes way faster than everybody else. Let's read this together as one. Uh, it says, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. Let's go ahead and read John 1, 1 through 5. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Thank you. Uh, A couple years ago, uh, I gave a gift to my dad. We're both big Denver Broncos fans. Uh, We beat the Steelers last week, praise God. Uh, (laughs) But we went out to Denver uh, for a Monday night game. It was right after Christmas, and we were so excited. Uh, We watched the Broncos every single week. Uh, But we flew out to Denver, and we actually got to watch the game together. And there was this great anticipation that we had for this game. Uh, And it was really cold. Uh, On that night, it was 8 degrees uh, by the time we showed up to the stadium. And we were about two hours early, and we didn't really think this through. We just got there, and then we were like, we got to get to our seats. And um, we were up in, like, the 400s level, like, super high. And so we, like, just make our way all the way up and get to our seats, and we look, and there's, like, nobody there. Like, it's just us at the top of the stadium. It's like eight degrees, just freezing. And we were fine with it. We were so excited for this game. There was such anticipation. And when the, uh, you know, when all the players come out and everything, it was, it was just this uh, excitement. They ended up winning that game. That game pretty much hinged their season to where they made it to the playoffs and they won the Super Bowl that year. And it was because... We beat the Carolina Panthers, and, uh, and it was because me and my dad were at that game. Um, just kidding. But uh, there was this anticipation of like, man, I can't wait. You, you just know, man, I can't, I can't wait for those players to come out. I can't wait to watch uh, this game and be part of this atmosphere. Christmas is a great time of anticipation. You know, as a kid, you wake up early in the morning, and you just can't wait for Christmas. Uh, Advent, what Advent is, we're going to have a series which is four weeks of Advent, and all it is is an anticipation for the arrival of someone. So we're going to have this series that's four weeks that's anticipation for the arrival of Jesus, and it's a celebration of past, present, and future. Jesus' past arrival, when, when, when uh, he came down to this earth, the present arrival, what he is currently doing in our lives and the future when he will come again. 
Uh, we're going to have four weeks, which is hope, peace, joy, and love. So this first week, we're talking about hope and what it means when it comes to celebrating the arrival of Jesus. Hope is a feeling of expectation and desire for a thing to happen. Do you ever do anything sometimes where, where you think, man, it is a miracle that I have any friends? Does that ever happen to you? It happens to me on a daily basis. Um, there, a big thing for me is like whenever I say the word technically, I'm like, why do I have any friends at all? Like te- technically, a tomato is a fruit. So it's like, who cares? Why? Why did I have to interject that? Um, that's the worst whenever I get into my, my technical mode. Uh, you know, uh, Christmas technically is not the birthday of Jesus. Um, you know, a lot of people, uh, we celebrate it as Jesus' birthday, but uh, it's actually uh, most likely he was not born in December. Uh, well, a lot of um, people, a lot of scholars think that it most likely was in the springtime because with the shepherds being out on the hills with the sheep, uh, most likely this would have been in a warmer time, probably the springtime. Uh, but so it makes you think, man, why, why did we get to Christmas in December if, if that wasn't Jesus' birthday? Uh, what a lot of people think is it's because there was, um, the pagans celebrated like the December solstice, which is around December 21st and 22nd. This was the shortest time between sunrising and sunsetting, and it marked the end of winter. And the reason they celebrated this is because they did it as a time to worship the sun, not S-O-N, but S-U-N. They worshiped the sun and how the sun had defeated, um, you know, the, the winter. And so they worshiped the, this creation of God. And um, Christians, what, what a lot of scholars think is that Christians realized that they were putting their hope in the wrong thing. And so they uh, celebrated Christmas around this time to say, hey, our true hope, our true thing that we are putting our hope in from darkness to light is Jesus. It's not the creation of the sun. It's not this gift that God has given us. It is Jesus himself. So it's kind of interesting. Um, But they knew that, man, who you put your hope in or what you put your hope in is a huge deal. And we need to be very careful with who we are putting our hope in what we put our hope in. Hope is a huge deal. Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says this, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of the things we cannot see. So we see from this passage that faith, you know, we all use the word faith, but faith is built on hope. Who do you hope in? What do you hope for? 1 Peter 3.15, it's not in your, in your uh, notes or anything, but it says Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. So we as Christians should have a hope that naturally raises questions with people that do not believe in Jesus. There should be a natural thing about us, a hope that is so deep and so pronounced that people can't help but ask, what is it that makes you different? What is it that you are hoping for? So... Today, my prayer is that when you leave today, you will have a hope that does not just last the Christmas season, but a hope in Jesus that lasts forever. This anticipation of the one that we can put our hope in. Matthew 1.18, this is part of the Christmas story. It says this, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. 
His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. The reason I share this verse is because uh, the Bible parallels a lot of our relationship with God, our salvation with marriage. And it's really interesting. There's probably a lot of passages that you've actually heard that you did not realize were a parallel to the marriage tradition back in the day. But why I think that Jesus chose uh, a wedding or marriage to be this picture is that is the ultimate uh, day of hope, the ultimate day of anticipation. You know, all these wedding analogies, it's, it's because, you know, that moment when, when the groom gets to see the bride, there's this huge buildup. It's, it's such a beautiful moment. I remember for my, for my wedding, uh, I, you know, there was a huge hope. I was extremely excited for that day. And, and I knew, I'm like, man, I'm going to get a little, little teary-eyed, a little misty when I see Amber, my, my bride, you know. And so I'm standing, standing there, and it was, it was at the barn at Greenway, and I'm, I'm standing there, and, and we played this song, and it was this worship song, and the doors opened, and I saw her, and she just looked so amazing, and I just lost it. Like, I, it did not look cool at all. Like, there's, there's like some cool, like, Pinterest photos where the guy's kind of dabbing his eyes, and it's like, you couldn't use any of the photos, so it was the ugliest cry. Like, I don't know if you guys have seen the Dawson's Creek meme, um, but it looked like that, like, oh, and um, like a painful, like, is he happy or like what? Like, and it was just like, it was just like all of this, this weight of um, excitement, you know, it's so funny, but like weddings and and marriages are the ultimate uh, view of hope, this anticipation of the groom and the bride. And back in in Jesus' day, there was a whole bunch of traditions. They did things a little bit differently. So I'm going to walk through, kind of like with Mary and Joseph, the the tradition of marriage back in that day and how with our relationship with Jesus, it leads to the ultimate hope in Jesus of that day when we will get to see him and he gets to see us. And it's going to be so amazing. And so, uh, like I said, my prayer is that this will stir up an anticipation for Jesus not just of Christmas or of this season, not just of, of, of religion or, or um, good feelings, but of Jesus, just Jesus. Um, so the marriage tradition in Jesus' time, uh, we're going to walk through five things that it consisted of and what it means for our relationship with Christ. The very first thing was the bride price, the bride price. And this points to our value. What this was back in that day is that there was a price paid. Um, If, uh, you know, like with Joseph and Mary, Joseph would go to Mary's father and would pay a price. And this was to show, hey, I care about your daughter a lot. So I'm willing to give, you know, five cows and three sheep and, you know, whatever the payment was um, to show, hey, this this is real. Like, I really care about your daughter. Um, you know, this was kind of a bigger tradition back in that day. Um, you know, when it came to Amber, I remember, you know, I wanted to ask her dad for, you know, his blessing and, you know, his approval of, of me asking Amber to, to be my wife. And so I remember being at her house. They lived in Indiana at the time. And it's such an awkward thing to like, be like, well, I, I was like, well, I'll take him out to coffee. And, and, you know, it was pretty obvious because it was, I was about to leave the, the, the 
you know, in two days. And so I knew, okay, tomorrow has to be the day that I like, that I ask them. And so we're, we're sitting in the, in the basement and I'm like, you know, when you know, like, oh, I need to ask him and you're just like sitting there and just frozen, like, and I didn't ask him. And then he goes upstairs, like, all right, good night. I'm like, good night. And he goes upstairs, I'm like, and when I get nervous, my voice like goes up like three octaves. I'm like, hey, Rick. He's like, <laughs> and he like calls down, he's like, yeah. I'm like, you want to go uh, catch some Starbucks or something tomorrow? He's like, yeah, sure. Like, all right. And so the next morning, he knew what was going on. I, I Never since have I asked him to Starbucks, and didn't, I didn't before. Like, he knew, like, okay, it's, this guy's finally asking me. And so we go to Starbucks, and he ordered a grande, which I paid for, you know. And, uh, <laughs> and we sat down, and I asked him, hey, you know, I'm sure you know where this conversation's going. But, uh, and he, he said yes. So I was like, sweet, this is awesome. Uh, and I had the blessing. And then ever since that day, though, he was like, I guess my daughter was worth a grande Starbucks drink. <laughs> I'm like, hey, if you would have asked for five cows, they would have been yours. He just, he didn't ask for it. He said yes. So, uh, but back in that day, it was a much bigger deal. Like the bride price, what a, a groom was willing to pay for the bride. Uh, and, and there's this parallel that's given in scripture of the bride price, what Jesus was willing to pay for us. You know, we know that, that Jesus was willing to give his life. He gave everything for you. He gave everything for you. Now think about that. Like that was your price, what, what Jesus was willing to pay for you. And what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, he says, God paid a high price for you. So don't be enslaved by the world. Because when you know the price that was paid for you, all of a sudden it gives you a different value. And your value is not because of what you have done. It's not of the good things you have done. You have not earned this value. It's not, oh, he, he was good enough. She was good enough. And so because of that, there's this value. It was simply because Jesus was willing to pay the highest price for you because he loves you so much. It was the price that he was willing to give to the Father to say, I have to be with them. So this is what I'm willing to pay. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul talks about this price and he's talking about sexual sin and he, and he goes on to say, hey, remember the price that was paid for you. Saying, listen, remember your value. You don't need to go to these other things to gain or achieve value. It's already there. So just be aware of the value. Your value is not something to be earned, but to be learned. Jesus already paid the highest price for you. And because of that, you have a value that is, is infinite. So you don't have to run to other things to, to affirm your value or make you feel like a man, make you feel like a woman, make you feel accepted, make you feel loved. You have the highest price tag on you that, has, that could ever be imagined. Jesus gave his life for you. That was the bride price. The second thing was the pouring of the cup. So you have the bride price. So the, basically that was so that the father would give his acceptance and say, okay, yes, you can be with my daughter. But then there was the pouring of the cup. And what that was, was the, the groom would, would pour out wine into a cup and he would offer it to the potential bride because she had to accept 
And so if she uh, drank from the cup, then she was saying, okay, I accept this. You will be my husband. And um, this, this pouring of the cup, it represents our response. Matthew 26, 27 through 28, uh, this is the, um, the, the final supper. And it says, and he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it, for this is my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. So we view this, you know, with, with um, you know, communion, and we see, we see this kind of as a thing of communion, but uh, what, what the, the symbolism of, of it was, like probably for the disciples, it seemed kind of weird because the only time that this really happened was, was when a groom was offering to a bride, hey, I want to marry you. I want you to be mine. And so Jesus' blood represents the wine that he poured out for us and he offered us. And what we see is that every individual person has a response to the price that was paid for them, to the blood that was poured out for them. Every person has a response to that. You can respond to say, yes, I'm accepting this sacrifice, or no, I'm going to do this on my own. Or no, I'm going to run to something else to be my savior. You know, the price had already been paid. That's the thing for every person on this earth is that the price has been paid. It just comes down to the response of that person. Whether or not they're saying, okay, Jesus is the one that I'm giving my life to. The only one that could save me. Or no, I've got this on my own. We all have a response to the price that has been paid. You know, Jesus gave his life, and then from there, every person gets to respond as to whether they're receiving or denying. You know, so, so there was the pouring of the cup. So if the, if the bride, if, you know, Mary received this cup and, and drank from it, then the groom, you know, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't be, like, physically together at that point. They, the groom would go off for a while. And it was very different. The groom would go off. And um, before he would go, though, he would leave her with a bunch of presents. And these presents were, were given to say, hey, these are things, one, because I love you, but like, I want you to stay so focused on us, on, on, our, on our marriage, on the fact that I am coming back for you. So these presents were to be a, um, a way for the bride to focus on the groom that was going and and. Um, that was going to come back. So the, the groom would leave these presents. Um, Michael Scott from The Office, he said this, presents are the best way you can show someone how much you care. It is like this tangible thing that you can point to and say, hey man, I love you this many dollars worth. <laughs> so that's what some people view presents as. This was different. It's saying, hey, this isn't, this isn't saying, hey, I love you this many dollars worth. This is a thing where you focus on us. where you Because it's so easy to lose focus. I lose focus all the time as to why I'm here, the purpose of my life. And so God gave us all these gifts for us, not to just sit and be like, man, I'm so awesome, but to be like, man, Jesus is amazing. What the book of James says is that every good and perfect gift comes from God. So during this season, 
Anytime you see something that's beautiful, anytime you see the stars or the mountains or the sunsets or the lights or whatever, allow it to point to Jesus because every good and perfect gift comes from God. And I believe that Jesus gave us those gifts so that we can remember, hey, there is, there is the most beautiful one is going to come back for us. Anytime you, you experience the embrace of a spouse or the laughter of one of your kids or the support of one of your friends, don't, don't just keep it there and say, man, my spouse is so great, my kids are so great, my friends are so great. Allow it to point to the one that gave you that gift, Jesus. During this time, let's, let's center our celebration on the one that has given us these gifts. Let these gifts, yes, we should enjoy them, but it's so that it can point to the one that we are to truly be waiting for. You know, so he gives us these gifts, but, but he also gives us a, the Holy Spirit, which is the gift of his presence here on earth, living inside of us. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14 says this, And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. So he gives us the Holy Spirit, but he also gives us spiritual gifts. I believe that that phrasing is, is uh, very intentional to say, hey, when God has given you a spiritual gift, so something that because of the Holy Spirit inside of you, you're able to do at an extraordinary, like an unbelievable way. I believe that God has given those gifts to you so that you can focus on Jesus and his mission. He's given those things to you so that you can focus on the one who is coming back. Um, it's to give you focus. You know, what I think is amazing is that God gives you gifts that are different than mine. So there is an individual love that God has for you that is, that is like personal. He loves the, the collective body of Christ, yes, but he loves you. That's amazing. The God of the universe would have a specific personal love for you. He gave you personal gifts for you because he loves you. And, and, and allow those gifts to, to shift your focus back to the one that we are created for. 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18 says, Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Guys, let's not lose focus. I get that there is darkness in this world, but the light has invaded the darkness. Let's not forget why we are here, why we exist. We exist so that we can invade the darkness, so we can have focus on Jesus and his mission. Let's not get so caught up in the, the small issues, the small things that, yes, they're hard, but there is an eternal life that we can focus on. There are souls of people that are eternal that we can focus on. Don't lose focus. Don't lose sight. So you have the, the presence that we're given. 
And then the fourth thing is the preparation, which is our renewal. So the, so the, the groom, what he would do is he would get, leave these presents and he'd say, hey, I'm leaving for a little while. And what he would do is he would go to his father's house and he would prepare a room for the, the husband and the wife. And he would go and he would build this room and that no one knew how long it was going to take. And then when he would finish, the father would come and inspect it and say, yes, this is, this is good work. Go back and get your bride. And so during this time, the groom was going and preparing this room, this place for the bride to live. And all the while, the bride's job was to, to prepare herself for the groom, to anticipate, to, to you know, be working. She would wear this veil everywhere she went to say, hey, I'm taken. I've got somebody. But, but preparing herself for this arrival of the groom, and she was always to be ready for him. John 14, 1 through, 3, 1 through 3 says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me. Back in that day, the groom would propose. Um, and, and at that time, the bride, like, accepted, but the, the, the whole thing was the room. Like, he's going and preparing this place. So Jesus is saying here, hey, I'm going up to heaven, and I'm preparing a place for you. And so the, the whole thing is that while the, the groom was working hard and preparing, the bride was to prepare herself, and that's what we are supposed to do. When you've accepted Christ, Jesus is preparing a place for you in heaven, but the thing is, are you preparing for his return? You know, sometimes we don't act like Jesus is coming back. We act like this is it. That this, this short time we have here on earth is it. That's what we act like sometimes. We get so worked up over the most trivial things. We act like uh, things are, are just the biggest things in the world when we have something that's so much bigger. This timeline is so short in comparison to eternity. I remember in first grade, I had a teacher. Her name was Miss Boddicker. She was a great teacher. And uh, I remember there was one time where she was going to slip out real quick to um, go to the, the classroom next to us. And so, like, I don't know why I did this, but she, like, stepped out. And, like, right when she stepped out, I was just like, party! Like, and I don't know where I got that from. I probably <laughs> saw it in a movie or something. Like, the cheesiest, like, most 90 things ever. And I... Uh, and she like popped back in. She's like, who said that? And everybody pointed to me. And um, she was like, Brody, yellow light. And uh, I had to go and move myself from the green light to the yellow light. And it was a rough day. Um, but I was acting like she wasn't coming back. I was acting like, you know, if I would have known that she was going to come back, I would have acted much differently. And um, I think sometimes we lose sight of the fact that Jesus is coming back, that he's returning. We don't prepare for the, the moment that he's coming back. We just do our own thing. You know, on my wedding day, imagine if I just showed up with sweatpants and Cheeto dust all over me, and I'm just like, ah, it's whatever, I don't care. No, like I wanted to look my best. And it wasn't so that I could gain Amber's approval. That had already happened. It was the fact that I loved her so much. I wanted to look the best I could for her because I loved her. 
Sometimes we act in this world, myself included, just like, this is it. It's no big deal. Jesus is coming back with whatever. I can act however I want. I don't need to get control of my thoughts. I can just live in fear. I can do what everybody else in this world is doing. It's not a big deal. But it is because we want to prepare ourselves for that time that Jesus is coming back. We are all given a, a dream in our hearts, a mission that Jesus has given us to change this world for him, yet we don't even pursue it. We just live life like everybody else. There is no hope coming out of our hearts that people can see because we live like everybody else. We're not preparing for when Jesus comes back. This passage in Revelation 19, I read this this week, and man, it hit me hard. It says, and this is, the book of Revelation was written by John, and it was this vision of, of what it's going to be like in eternity, what, what heaven is going to be like. It says this, Then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd, or the roar of mighty ocean ray, waves, or the crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb and his bride has prepared herself. Check this out. It says, She has given the finest of pure white linen to wear for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. Listen, I understand that our salvation is not works-based. You did nothing to achieve your salvation, to achieve the love of God. He has already uh, accepted you, uh, like given his life for you, paid that price for you. And you may, hopefully you have accepted drinking from that cup and said, yes, Jesus, I, I want to live for you. I want to give myself to you. But we are, these good deeds that we do, the, the, the great things that we do in this life, it's to prepare ourselves, not so that we can get God to love us, but because he loves us and we love him. So I want to ask you, are you preparing yourself? You know, when we do good things here on earth, when we truly serve, and not out of a selfish ambition, but out of the, the goodness of, of who God is, it is so beautiful to Jesus. Man, Good Shepherd, what, what they're doing is beautiful to Jesus. What we do for the least of these is beautiful to Jesus. So I want to ask you, how are you preparing? What are you doing that's going to just, Jesus is going to look down and be like, oh my gosh, they look so beautiful. Let us not get trapped up in the selfishness of this world and the fear of our everyday troubles. Let us focus on the one that gave his everything for us and let's just, let's do things because we love him, because we want on that day for him to look and just be like, wow, I'm so proud of them. They are so beautiful. They did these things for me. So let's be those people that, that, that want to serve God because we love him, not with this pressure and the stress of like, oh God, please accept me. Did I do enough good things? But man, he has accepted me. I love him so much. I want to give him my everything. I'm not just going to show up on Sunday mornings. This is going to be my life. It's going to be my everything. 
Let's be prepared at all times because Jesus could come back at any moment. Let's be prepared. And then the last thing was the groom's return. This represents our eternity. You know, when the groom had finally prepared and, and the father said, yep, go get your bride. It was this amazing picture. This groom would go and, and get to the city gates. And when the groom would be there, then they would sound these trumpets to where the bride would know, oh my gosh, he's here. And, she, and she'd go and she'd meet her groom and, and they got to start their lives together. They got to be with each other. It says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18, and now just picture this. It says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. Guys, this is the real deal. We will get to spend eternity in heaven with Jesus. We will get to meet him and, and, and start our lives forever. Let's not lose sight of that. It's going to be the most beautiful thing ever. But let's live like that. Let's remember that. Let's let that stir up a hope and anticipation to not just focus on the troubles of today, but to focus on eternity. The band's going to sing a song here. And, and while they sing, feel free to sing or do whatever you want to do to worship God. But just in your minds, just focus on the fact that Jesus, the most beautiful one that paid everything for you, that is preparing a place for you, is coming to get you and we need to prepare ourselves for that so while the band sings this song just think of that in your mind